Hi, and welcome to Sepa Stories. So, for today's treat, I have a story titled An Expert in Sunrises, written by Hecate A. And I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but um, it is spelled H E C A T E, capital A, all one word. Um, the author has very graciously allowed me permissions to read the story, and this author has many, many, many other stories that I would encourage you to look up, share, and enjoy. I will definitely be reaching out to see if I can read more of uh, this writer's written works. So the summary says, The summer after the war, Ron, Harry, and Hermione decide to return to the borough. Ron is the only one who finds both peace and quiet ways to share it once they arrive there, and it's considered a one-shot, but it is a rather long piece of fiction. It is rated K. We have elements of friendship, hurt, and comfort, PTSDs there, survivor's guilt. Our characters are really Harry, Ron, and Hermione, and this has quite a few followers and favorite tags already. It looks like this was published on May the 23rd, and it is a completed piece of fan fiction. The author does put in uh, their own disclaimer, and I like the humor in it. It says, um, the following characters belong to J.K. Rowling, and this story derives from her original work, Storylines and World. Please do not sue me. I can barely pay tuition, so I, um, I thought that was kind of humorous and wanted to share that. With that, let's read this wonderful story, which I did find on fanfiction.net. So that's my kind of my go-to. If you wanted to find this writer and more of this writer's stories, you would want to check out fanfiction.net. And you could look by either the title or the author's pen name. Okay, so Expert in Sunrises, and we will begin now. The Borough had survived the war. That by itself was a welcome mercy. The house had obviously been a target to Death Eaters since Bill and Fleur's wedding, and Mum and Dad had been followed and monitored closely, too. Mom had spent the war finding footprints in her vegetable patch and putting off feeding the chickens on some mornings when the house was being surveyed. When Ron had been spotted at Malfoy Manor, and they'd had to go into hiding. The house had been roughed up as Death Eaters came looking, but they hadn't burned it to the ground. Ron suspected they'd had harbored some weird hope that they could snatch up order members or rogue Weasleys still swinging by the house. Anyways, he was thankful to see the burrow after the battle. The rogue oars, led by Kingsley, had cleared the house of any traps or curses. There were some smashed windows to fix, some overturned drawers to return to their spots, and some cluttered effects. But it was nothing that a large family of wizards couldn't fix in an hour. The ghoul, mercifully, still sat in the attic, undisturbed, something Ron really didn't know how to explain and was a bit afraid to ask. It seemed happy to see them and to have some company. But it didn't seem keen on moving, so Ron took one of the more took one more look at his flamboyantly orange bedroom and went back downstairs to find Hermione and Harry. They were in the living room, where Harry was busy respooling some of Mum's yarn, and Hermione was putting albums back on the shelf in alphabetical order. They both looked up when he came in and offered them a smile, which they didn't reciprocate. They sat on the ground with Harry to help him. Mum came in, hazel eyes damp with tears, and Ron quickly saw why. 
She came in from the kitchen and was holding one of her clock's golden hands, which had gone limp and split in two down the middle. His stomach turned itself completely inside out when he realized it must be Fred's. You three are staying here, Mum said decisively. I know, I know you have, you might have other plans and grimmel places yours, Harry, but, but you three will stay here and, and rest and eat and be taken care of for a little bit, at least until summer is over. Ron looked at his friends. Secretly he was relieved. He had no idea what the world had held now that the world, the war was over. He hadn't really thought that far since that would have felt like jinxing everything that they were doing. But he was sure that they weren't done yet, that there would be some things left to do. Namely, he had to bury one of his brothers. Some death eaters had escaped from the grounds once Voldemort had fallen, and Harry would inevitably be pummeled with questions about where he had been and what had happened. The burrow felt like a good landing place for them as they went through all of that. Somewhere safe and warm and familiar, where they wouldn't be on their own. Of course, Mrs. Weasley, Hermione said finally. If you'll have us all, we'd be happy to stay. Mum nodded again, tears threatening to spill over. Ron wrapped her up in a hug before they did and felt himself melt a bit against her. It was finally he was finally back with his mum and so much had gone wrong, but Ron was selfish and human enough to want his mum to be okay. Mum hugged back and started crying when Harry and Hermione finally joined them. Ron didn't have the heart to tell the ghoul in his room to go back to living between the walls of the house and to hang out with the pipes. Harry agreed. Plus, he had no idea how they'd even go about getting the ghoul's smell out of the room anyways. So they set up camp in the living room, lining up spare mattresses and piling on blanket upon blanket upon blanket. They'd fall asleep sharing the heat. The window cracked open so they could hear the bullfrogs in the pond or the crickets chirping. They'd wake up, one by one, entangled and scruffy, and once all three of them were lucid, they would tuck their things away so that the living room would go back to being a normal living room. Sometimes they would wake up to the smell of bacon and eggs and fresh bread Mum was cooking up for breakfast. Other times they would wake up mid-afternoon, completely spent. The entire house would stop holding its breath and watching how loudly they stomped about. Ron slept in the middle between Harry and Hermione. He often woke up in the middle of the night with Hermione's hair in his mouth or one of her legs hooked around his. Harry tended to drift closer to him as they slept, occasionally clasping Ron's sweater or getting so close that Ron could hear him mumble and mutter in his sleep. It always took the two of them a bloody hell of a long time to fall asleep and settle down. Hermione had tried moving up to Jenny's room to resume her usual sleeping arrangements at the burrow, but after three sleepless nights, she came back down to the basement and slept with both both of her fists wound tightly in Ron's shirt. The three of them hadn't slept apart from one another in so long. Apparently, it would take them a while to ease away from each other or to sleep soundly at all. Sometimes Ron woke up in the middle of the night to Harry sitting upright and staring into nothingness, or he found his cot empty. 
He could usually track his best friend down to the front porch or to the kitchen where he'd be staring at the marauder's map or going over old issues of the prophet until Ron dragged him back to bed. He lived in fear and what did he find with Jenny one day? But that was neither here nor there. The point was they were mostly doing it. They were mostly sleeping. When Mum put the burrow back together after the Death Eaters trashed it, she found a rocking chair in the basement. Apparently, it had been a gift from Aunt Muriel when she had been pregnant with Bill, but Mum had always favored the more comfortable chair that Dad had made her. Ron claimed the chair for his own and planted it on the front porch, facing the chicken coop, at the shed where they kept the broomsticks, and the apple orchard, which is fully in bloom. When he woke up, and the other two were still sleeping, and he had his good nights, he went to sit on his porch chair like a little old man. He knew it was very, it was a very old man thing for him to do, because sometimes Percy brought him a cup of coffee and joined him. They didn't talk much. They mostly just looked out at the scenery with an unspoken understanding that they were both happy to be back here. Dad saw them there one morning when he started going to work and he started joining them the weekend after that. Ron offered him the chair, but Dad shook his head and told him that it was his. He sat on the front porch with Percy and a cup of coffee of his own. Have you read this? Hermione asked, sliding over today's copy of the prophet. Harry picked it up and arched an eyebrow when he saw the headlines. If I had known that you and I had had a torrid affair while Horcrux hunting, I would have let you have the last bit of toast, Harry said, pushing away the paper. Jenny snickered. That's not funny, Hermione said. Who wrote this? She turned back to the paper and clucked her tongue. Rita Skeeter. Of course it was that horrible woman. Let's see how wonderful of a journalist she is after a letter to the editor triggers the Prophet's Ethics Committee. Hermione, it's not worth it, Ron said. She turned back to him. What do you mean it's not worth it? Hermione protested. She's telling lies. Yeah, but she's Rita Skeeter, Ron said. She's basically a tabloid writer. I'm sorry she's writing about you again and you're upset, but if you're a fan of the fire, you know, she's basically going to find a way to spin that into something that sounds more passable. We can burn the paper, if that'll make it better. Hermione paused and sighed. You're right, she said, sitting back down at her seat. She folded the paper again and offered it to him. Do you want to read it before I throw it in the fireplace? No, Ron said. He unpeeled another sausage on his fork. You know I don't bother with the paper. Come on, Jenny said, getting up and tugging at Hermione's sleeve. Let me go get something to set this on fire for you to roast that paper over. Not in the house, Mom called from the kitchen. The two of them vanished and Ron paused his eating, sensing Harry's eyes on him. You really haven't read a single paper since all this stopped, he asked. Nope said Ron. And don't I look happier for it? From his spot on the porch, Ron watched the sunrise. That's a nice one, Percy said. Ron hadn't realized that his brother was watching through the screen door, but he didn't startle when Percy stepped out and joined him. He was holding a cup of coffee and the pot, too. He gestured to offer Ron a top-up, and Ron stuck out his mug for it. It is, Ron said as Percy poured. The clouds are just right to reflect all the light. Is that what makes a sunrise a good sunrise? Percy asked. Yep, Ron said. He'd been watching lots of them.
I'm going, Harry said. Perfect, Ron said, not looking up from his edition of Quidditch Monthly in his hands. He had lots of reading to catch up on. So go. Harry chewed his lips and paced across the living room again. What's it going to do? Harry asked. If I'm there or not, I'm not testifying today. You're not, Ron said. You don't have to go. Harry paced some more, chewing in his lip. He'd taken out a snitch to play with as a way to distract himself. But he was too distracted for his distraction to properly distract him from his current dilemma. The snitch actually followed him as he paced. I've been to so many of these, Harry said, and I don't particularly care about August, August Forkwood. You really don't, Ron said. He missed a really good sell on keeper gloves in February. Shame. Nobody cares about August Forkwood. Exactly, Harry said, but should I? Harry, Ron said, closing the magazine. You're torturing yourself. You know that, right? It doesn't matter if you should go or not. Do you want to go? Harry hesitated. Yes, Harry said. Yes. I want to see every last one of them tucked away to Azkaban. Then go, Ron nodded. But I don't want the Wizengamot to look at me the whole time or for reporters to ask me how I feel about the trial after, Harry said. Great, Ron said. So don't talk to them. Just go in. Sit quietly. Watch what you need. And leave immediately after. Harry nodded, processing, processing these instructions and weighing their feasibility. Can you come with me? He finally asked. Sure, Ron said. What was it to him? He didn't care about August Rook, Rookwood, but he sure did care about Harry. Hey, did you want to replace the firebolt? There's a coupon in here for all Skyscraper brand broomsticks and products. I don't think it's expired yet. Percy was already sitting on the porch when Ron stepped outside. George huddled next to him. Both of them sat with their hands wrapped around teacups and blankets thrown over their shoulders. They turned to see Ron. Morning, Ron said, going straight for his chair. Good morning, Percy said. I remembered that thing you said about how there were always beautiful sunsets after thunderstorms, and as it turns out, there's a meteorological reason for it. Clean air scatters light, and rain cleans the air. Interesting, Ron said. I guess we'll have a good one this morning. That storm was wicked. I brought George, Percy said. I thought he'd like to see. George offered a little wave, but didn't say much, which was normal for him nowadays. Ron dragged the chair closer to his brothers, and they waited for the sunrise. Kingsley seemed a little started, startled to walk out of the burrow and see Ron on the porch. Hello, Ron, he said. Hello, minister, Ron said, stressing Kingsley's new title as they all did in goofy, consistent celebration, constant celebration. He pushed himself back so the chair would start rocking. I thought Mom said you were staying for dinner. I fully intended to, and it smells lovely in the house, but duty calls, Kingsley said. Sorry about that, said Ron. I know what I signed up for, Kingsley said. For the record, you're better than that last guy, Ron offered. Kingsley laughed. You know, I spoke to Harry earlier, Kingsley said, leaning against the porch railing. He asked me if he had to return to Hogwarts and finish his seventh year if he still intended to be an Auror. I told him it would be at the discretion of Hestia Jones, our new head Auror, but we may be able to make an arrangement. 
I've heard stories about how valuable you were during the Horcrux hunt and the Battle of Hogwarts, and thought that I could extend the same offer to you. Thanks, Ron said, but I'm not thinking that far ahead. No? Kingsley asked. There was a smile of teasing his lips. You seem quite pensive sitting on your chair and looking out into the world. Well, I've got to be off now before a small fire crows, but order training won't begin until fall anyway. Do let me know what you think when you start thinking about it. He offered Ron a wave before walking off. Ron was essentially developing a sixth sense that allowed him to wake up within minutes of Harry getting up and creeping out of the living room. Ron saw the kitchen light glowing faintly and found his best friend sitting at the table looking over scraps of parchment. He looked up when he heard Ron's footsteps. Did I wake you? he inquired, worried. Nah, Ron said, walking to the sink. Needed some water. Why are you up? I just... Harry took a deep breath, and Ron managed to get a sneaky look at what he was reading. It was his testimony from Narcissa Malfoy's trial. I just hope I did enough, Harry said finally. I hope I explained it properly and said the right thing to... To do what? Ron asked. He drained his cup of water. To save her? The Malfoys did so much wrong, and I don't care about all of them, but she... She saved my life in the forest, Harry said. You saved your own life by being both really clever and the bravest person I know, Ron said. Your job isn't to save Narcissa Malfoy, Harry. If the Wizengamot decides to send her off to Azkaban, that's not on you. Your job was to tell the truth, and you told it. Harry nodded. I did. I know it was the first time you really talked about what happened in the forest, Ron said. You know, to... to people that aren't Hermione and I. Yeah, Harry nodded. He shifted in his seat. I think I'll have to tell the story again once the prophet decides they want to hear the whole thing. It's not your job to do that either, Ron said. You did what you had to do, all right? Well, sleep, if you can. Harry nodded. Ron didn't want to blow his cover, so he put his empty cup of water in the sink and went back to bed. About twenty minutes later, when he was feigning asleep with Hermione firmly holding on to his waist, Harry came back to sleep. It wasn't like his friend's sleeping patterns had regulated themselves in any significant way, but Ron was still surprised to see Hermione emerge from the burrow as the sky began to turn orange. She was barefoot. Her hair, in the usual disastrously messy ponytail she slept in, wearing an enormous jumper from some muggle museum in pajama shorts. Good morning, Ron said, digging his heel into the porch to stop his rocking. Hermione nodded, her greetings rubbing the sleep out of her eyes as she did and looking around at how the burrow looked in the early morning. You're up early, Ron said. Hermione nodded. Percy told me you're often awake in the early hours, Hermione said. I couldn't fall back asleep, so I thought I'd join you. Please, Ron said. He put his coffee cup down and Hermione drifted towards him. She sat on his lap and leaned against him, bringing her legs up so that they rested on her chair. She leaned her head against him and turned to look out in the same direction as him. It's so quiet, Hermione said. I'm not very used to the burrow being quiet. We're not really used to it quiet at all, Ron said. Getting there, though. 
I'm glad you are, Hermione said. She sighed and leaned against him a little bit more. He readjusted to hold her a little bit tighter. How do you do it? She finally asked. How are you? I feel twitchy just waiting for the paper to arrive in the morning, and Harry's always so worried about all the loose ends being tucked in just right, but you, you're doing well enough to hold us all together. This chair is really comfortable, Ron said. Be honest, Hermione said. It is, honestly, Ron said. He kissed her hair. More comfortable with you here now, of course. He knew that Hermione smiled, even if he couldn't see her. He decided to tell the truth then. You know how you always chastise me for doing the bare minimum in school, Ron said. Yes, Hermione said. She sounded somewhat sheepish, even if they both knew she wasn't wrong. Well, it's saving me now, Ron said. I did my job in this whole thing. I stood by Harry as best I could, even if I faltered, and I got him out of this alive, even if he was dead for a little bit. Voldemort's dead, and there's no more horcruxes, and because I know that, and because that's all I needed to do, I can rest now. Harry, he keeps thinking he has to do more, or that he hasn't done enough, because everyone's always needed so much from him. Voldemort stole his whole life, so it's hard for him to see that it's over. And you, you always do the extra credit. You're just looking for what to do next, convinced that that's your responsibility. I think, for both of you, you're going a little bit crazy. I think we are, Hermione admitted. She snuggled into him. What do you recommend, since you're the expert at this? The sun rises soon, Ron offered. Then maybe I can go make us coffee, and you can try out the chair. He was sure that this didn't make much sense to Hermione, but she nodded and settled back against him. And that, my beautiful friends, was the end of an expert in sunrises. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. Hi, and welcome back to Seppa Stories. All right, so thank you for joining me and listening to An Expert in Sunrises by Hecate A. Hecate or Hecate? I am still debating how I pronounce that. I'm so sorry if I'm brutalizing that. But um, let's talk about An Expert in Sunrises. All right, so... I really loved the tension in this story. I I like the setting that you know it's it's summer and the battle is finally over, but you know there's still so much mess to address and this is after you know I guess you would say the scene on the bridge in the films where Harry snaps the wand and that's that but before the the epilogue so this is like going back to the borough after you know having to having fought in a battle of Hogwarts and you have the family members starting to return back to the borough and so we and I, I I wasn't crazy in the films about them burning the borough town. I, you know, it was great and flashy and wonderful for the films, but it didn't really follow what happened in the books. And so while it worked for the films, you know, I I'm really happy that this story 
the staying in alignment that you know of course that didn't happen they didn't burn the house down and so yes the house has been maybe a little vandalized and the garden tromped through and that kind of thing um it's it's a nest you know it's it's their roost it's some place they gather it's where they go you know it's where this family unit is regrouping the weasleys and and people who were involved with the order of the phoenix you know are stopping in and out so it, it's a hub and i love that mrs weasley you know is immediately you're gonna stay and you know she's grieving the loss of one of the twins and when she comes out and she's got the spoon and it's limp and broken in half and everyone knows that that she you know in the, in the story it's saying it's Fred's spoon you know that it's a beautiful detail to add in you know because that's that's the the clock her marvelous clock and that would that would certainly hurt her so I thought that in talking about post-traumatic stress syndrome you know you you have these three teenagers who have been on the run and living in a tent and sleeping wherever they could and really just really roughing it when I read the books it was so much camping and it was like I felt it was almost a grueling read on the canon because they were camping a lot and then in this story you kind of see the aftermath you know that you would think that yes it was cold at times and you know maybe they were all sleep piling to combat you know coldness and and for comfort and for security and this is carried over in the story with them not being able to sleep without being in contact of each other and and I can very much understand this you know that people coming out of stressful situations you have recovery time and and that can be months weeks years you know whether and something as mundane you would think is like losing a job or being stressed out over um, a change in life or say losing a parent or a sibling or, or going through a horrible ordeal or or even looking at the world around us as we are now you know and, and living under constant pressure every day can cause a person to have survivor's guilt or post-traumatic stress syndrome that would cause you to behave or react in, in ways that you wouldn't normally so I really loved that this writer in this story in Expert in Sunrises is talking about how Harry feels obligated to go to all the wizarding trials and even though he doesn't care about the wizards he feels like he has to be there because he has to see them go to Azkaban and that's almost like a compulsion with him and Hermione seems like she's just kind of trying to to find her center again and I thought it was really telling like she sleeps next to Ron but she fists her hands you know in his shirt and you know she throws a leg over him and and that's almost like just holding on to something and I think that you know that's really effective and it's quite telling and it shows the level of closeness between these three and, and in fan fiction you'll hear them called the golden trio um, these three you know have this really close bond I, I thought the, the humor in Rita Skeeter 
writing about their torrid love affair on the Horcrux hunt, you know, and and Jenny taking it tongue in cheek, you know, and and no one's really taking Rita Skeeter seriously because they've been through so much, and and I think that that's very maybe common for people who go through in real life life-changing events, really stressful situations, things that you can't control but you can only survive. And I thought that this was very well done in the story. And, and you know, and Ron's almost kind of like, okay, well, whatever, you know. And he's just rolling with the punches in a way that Hermione and Harry and Percy and George and Ginny and Miss Weasley and even Kingsley, you know, these characters that have been brought into the story, <clears throat> excuse me, they seem to be struggling or seem to be trying to fit into their new roles. And Ron is just content to grab a rocking chair and watch a sunset. And that's how he's finding his center. I think it's like he was probably just as keyed and wired as everyone else but there is something about being able to sit in a rocking chair and you know to watch the sunrise that I think helps him to be able to deal with what he has gone through and helping Harry and in possibly even dealing with his guilt of having abandoned them during the Horcrux hunt. You know, I, that's not mentioned in this story, but we know that that happens from the canon. So maybe that's a part of him, you know, like he's sitting with himself, he's finding himself, he's centering himself. I do like that the Ron in this story is a likable character. Um, Ron Weasley in the canon wasn't always my favorite character. I mean, and, you know, if, if you've enjoyed the Pottermore site, um, you've read probably where Rowling had considered killing him off. And, and for me, he wasn't likable, but he was very human. You know, he has fits of jealousy and he resents you know his his poor upbringing during the canon stories that Rowling has created and there's almost not a bit of competitiveness but he's always kind of standing in Harry's shadow until it's just kind of too much for him and so he's a very human character and maybe that's why where Hermione is is pretty much perfect outside of being bossy and you know, the Severus Snape character is dynamic and mysterious, and Harry is, Harry is Harry, you know, like he's, he's trying to be the chosen one, but, you know, he, he forgets, like, crucial things, like, you know, the mirror that Sirius gives him, you know, if he would have just had that, Sirius might not have died at the Department of Mysteries, so, you know, so that kind of thing, and so you see Harry now in this story, trying to trying to now adjust to the idea that you know since he was 11 or going to the wizarding world that he had had you know Voldemort constantly threatening his life and from before then you know this dark wizard having killed his parents so for the first time this isn't that worry and I can't imagine you know um, living under 
a stress that's every day and then one day you wake up and you don't have it anymore, you're probably going to want to hang on to that stress because you don't know any other way. And I thought this writer really captured this. And I thought that that was beautifully told and beautifully written and how everyone's trying to come to terms and still exist in each other's space in the nest that is the burrow in the confines this comforting home that's the burrow they don't move the ghoul out of the out of Ron's room they leave him there you know and and you know you kind of see like this accommodation and this this kind of nurturing of each other and and even Hermione says it's you know, I'm not used to the burrow being so quiet and and that's and that's also very striking, you know, because in the canon stories, you know, it's always loud. There's always a noise. There's always a mess. There's always bangs, pops, bangs, you know, and there's always something going on. It's in the films. It's in the books. So for this story to kind of have it, have these quiet mornings is a contrast. And it's a beautiful display of just how much changed for these characters and what will now be their new lives. And of course we have Kingsley saying well Harry you know is going to become an Auror and this offers open to you and, and here you know of course Ron is wonderfully non-committal about it and you know isn't just jumping at it and I like that I think it shows a new maturity to the Ron character and I like the Ron character and the story a lot more so it, I thought it made this Ron character more sensitive and more mature and a better way to be a rock for his friends where maybe he abandoned them during the Horcrux hunt. At this point, he's exactly the rock and stability they need to now recover and be able to step into more normal lives. So I thought this was a great story. I liked it for what it is. It, it was a longer story to read. Some of the flow for me as a reader, um, I had a hard time transitioning, but that I think that was mainly me as a reader reading it out loud. Um, the story is solid. You know, it's like bricks being built on top of bricks. You know, you, you're getting, it's not a passage of time. It's, it's like a series of days and or mornings. You know, things are revolving around the rocking chair and those sunrises. And I really enjoyed that, you know, that when I read this, I could almost see everything kind of with a pink or this early morning tint of that golden yellow, you know, that he's sitting out there. And it was visual for me in that way. And the references to coffee, you know, um, now I have to go make a cup of coffee because now I want one. <laughs> you know, it was just really nice to think. And it made me think it would be really nice to sit out on a porch in a rocking chair with a cup of coffee in the morning before the insanity of a busy day. I would love that in my own personal life. So I thought that was beautiful detail and something to revolve the story around was a wonderful device. And I really, really like the story. So I hope that you as listeners enjoyed this as much as I did and with that, uh, we're going to close this commentary to an end. Thank you so much, Hecate A, for allowing me to, or Hecate A, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it correctly, um, for sharing your story, an expert in sunrises. I 
truly loved reading this and sharing this with our listeners. And by the way, um, if you like these stories and you want to hear more, follow um, my podcast. You can find me on Spotify, Breaker, uh, Google Podcast, Apple iTunes. So um, we're, we're shared quite a few places. I'm posting links in Tumblr. And if you want to see my Tumblr page where I'm posting these, or you want to drop into the links, it'll take you right to, I think it directs you to Spotify. Um, my Tumblr page is Sepa Raven 200 all one word. And you can't miss me. Look for the kind of dark black blue raven in front of a orange moon. And when you see that, you're at the right page. So we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to this story and for enjoying an expert in sunrises with Sepha stories. We'll see you next time.